0: Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your host and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. We're back. Tripping Live. Over the Barrel.
1: Tripping Over the Barrel with the man, a land man, an Alabama man, sort of, right? Um, and somebody who's worked in all different sides of the house. So I, I've really enjoyed my interactions with Jairus. Tim, you made an astute observation if you look at Jerris's LinkedIn profile picture. Oh, yeah. It just looks like he's really into whatever it is that he's talking about. He looks and intense on that picture. <laughs> yeah, That's the vibe we, we like to have here on Tripping Over the Barrel. So um, it's,
2: it's welcome to... Exactly- It's actually at the mall food court. I'm just giving an order.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I know, but it's, I know, but I know that that's how you are at the mall food court. That's how
2: you are. I want that orange Julius and I want it this size with that straw. Yeah.
1: Do they still have
0: orange Julius's around?
2: I I have no idea. I can't remember the last time I was in a mall.
1: I don't, I was just at the mall. That's why I was late to this podcast recording (laughs) starting. I love the mall. Tim, we've talked about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because I grew up like way in the middle of nowhere in New Hampshire, like the best like indoor like malls were, I don't know, nine seventy five ninety 90 minutes away. Like it, it, so it was a hike. It was like the whole day was planned around going to the mall, right? Um,
0: kind of like in the old West, we're going to town, <laughs> we're, going to,
1: we're going to the mall. So, yeah, I still enjoy going to the mall, just when, but, anyways, now for the mall. Here we are the day before my event. Well, this recording is coming out next week, but I've got the uh, Funk Futures Golf Scramble tomorrow. Super looking forward to that. Going to be nice weather. Got some friends coming to town, literally mid-podcast. So excited to network, hang out with energy tech people, oil and gas decision makers, you know, just sort of across the board. What, What I found interesting, Tim, about that is a lot of finance people showed up, Tim, which tells me that finance people have a lot of time on their hands. And with that time, they play golf with it.
0: Well, I'm not sure they're gonna sign up for that. <laughs> they're not gonna they're not gonna claim they got a lot of time on their hands. But now
1: I know it's like, all right, yeah.
0: I, need I still think we're coming harder. out of the golf tournament. Yeah, sign me up. I haven't, you know, there's still a lot of people who are missing have missed out on being able to go do those things. So any excuse they can get to get out and have a, you know, do something on a Friday, good weather, I'm, we're gonna go take it right now.
1: Yeah. Although, I mean, anybody from Canada wasn't able to come. I mean, it's just too much of a hassle to travel back and forth there right now, but that's sort of still still the plans. world. No, it's just like, I think you need a, a test going in, test going out. Um, there may be yeah. a mandatory quarantine, even upon return. Um, things are more shut down up there than they are here for sure. Um, well, especially Alabama. But anyways, Jarris Johnson, this is your show today. I want you to take us from your, your Oki roots all the way through Energen, a very interesting upstream oil and gas company that wasn't always just that. And I always, Tim, I love talking about the oil and gas companies that are in unusual places. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, like there's, are there any other oil and gas companies in
2: Birmingham? Actually, there is. There's one called Diversified Gas and Oil. Right. Um, so they're actually traded on the London Exchange. They're a billion-plus dollar company, heavy, heavy in acquisitions of just boring conventional stuff, but they've done really well with it. Um, so yeah, I would say at this time they're probably the number one energy company in Birmingham, and then I'm at a close number two or number three um, solo at my <laughs> home office. <laughs> I do it. I do
1: it.
2: They're at one wing of the energy corridor. I'm at the other. The, the the anchor tenant, if you will.
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. Um, I, I mean, I know I've diversified of course, tons and tons of low producing natural gas wells on the Eastern corridor. So you you always have the ability to sell it and extract it. Um, it, not sexy or anything like that, but seems to be working. I just didn't know they were headquartered there. That's cool. Cause I, they're probably all over the, really the the East coast.
2: They are. They have, they have more field offices around the country that I think all those field officers are probably bigger than what the headquarters is. But from what I understand, the executive team and then some of the critical skeleton functions are located here in Birmingham. And then the rest of the operations people are scattered all over the place. But I think
0: anybody I an opponent, yeah. in oil and gas in general, you say Birmingham, Alabama, there's always a what? And if you know the business you generally say oh, well that must be energen then you know that's yeah. that's pretty much it it just it is it is fascinating and when you hear mississippi and it's it's denbury or something like that it's it is just kind of interesting to see where these guys might pop up
2: yeah it was um it was a lot of fun like when energen was was blowing and going and and uh, periodically we would have visitors come to town with other companies that we were trying to do deals with or discussing deals and they would be shocked when we would go to lunch and could spread out an acreage map over the table and talk as loud as we want because nobody around <laughs> had any idea and nobody cared what we were talking about. You know, it was just, you could say whatever you wanted and there were no secrets that were getting out or or that were being told otherwise. It, right. Definitely right. a different atmosphere.
0: Try that Luigi's in Midland. You're going yeah, to, exactly. there's going to exactly. be a lot of ears listening. Girls <laughs> exactly. in Denver
1: when that was a thing, right? Yeah. Um, so, so how'd you get to Alabama? Take, take us through that whole process, growing up, college. Cause I think you went to college in Oklahoma where you're from.
2: I did. From yeah. This, yeah. This can be a really long story. Um, yeah. If you've got a landman on your podcast by now, um, at this point, you're like, it's no longer tripping over the barrel. You're like bottom of the barrel is like, you may have to rename. <laughs> I mean, if, if you've got, if you've got somebody like me on there, you're scraping.
0: <laughs> I think I think we've had. There's a couple that definitely were across the bottom. We won't name names, but I think you're you're a step up.
2: <laughs> You've got seventy some episodes. I'm you know I'm I realize I'm at the bottom of the barrel, but none, nonetheless, super excited to be here. Uh, so I, I grew up in uh, in northern Oklahoma, uh, the town of Enid, to be exact. Oh um, no
0: way! Yeah. Oh, we're going to hit that in Shout a second. Out. Go ahead. Shout Keep out. Going. I'm going to resources. Okay. the
2: planes. Well, I my own story. You're not going to distract me. So if you want to bring up Enid now, we can go into that's it. not how it works. It's our podcast. We Well, I'm just going
0: to. I'm just going to go ahead and and drop it in. But uh, that was one of the stations where my dad was stationed when uh, when I was growing up was Enid, Oklahoma. My brother graduated from uh, Enid High. So yeah. So also,
2: uh, our Air Force then.
0: Yep, Vance Air Force Base. My dad was there. I don't want to yeah you know, he was the vice wing commander for a couple of years there
2: so my my grandfather retired from Vance Air Force Base that's what brought my dad to Enid um nice. and then my mom grew up in out in the country like even in Enid we can say out in the country and that means a different place <laughs> um so she, yeah so um so I was born and raised in Enid and uh I grew up not really knowing what people do when they when they grow up and and do other jobs i mean i didn't have anybody in my family that had ever gone to college um the only types of jobs that i knew that even existed were whatever the kids are dressing up on career day so like doctor um which i have a very low gore threshold so that wasn't gonna work um <laughs> Teacher sounded really appealing, really um, something that I thought I'd be into. And then I found out how much they make. Uh, so I wasn't too as enthusiastic about teacher anymore. And then honestly, there were just a lot of professions that I thought were out of my reach. Like I thought there's that, that's, not, that's not something that I was born into that I'm gonna be able to do. And so uh, to some extent, I would say I had my sights set kind of low. I mean, it was just, it's kind of, I mean, it's not because it's not I was brought up being told that I was never going to mount anything, nothing like that. I just didn't have a whole lot of like influences around me that taught me or that showed me what the potential was. Um so all that said, I grew up just kind of waiting for somebody to tell me, "Hey, this is something that you might be good at." And uh I came out of college. I actually did a uh I went to school for a year on a theater scholarship. Um so nice. Yeah. So that's, that's my little piece of uh, random, that's one of my little pieces of random trivia about me is I was um, I went to out of school on a theater scholarship. Um, and then I took a break for a couple of years and I did a, uh, I did a church mission down in Chile. Um, and then I came back and then needed to try to figure out growing up. And the first thing I did is I went and, worked in the oil field. So I did like, I mean, you've got rig hands, you've got roustabout guys and then whatever comes below that, that's where I fit in. Um, And I did that for about a year or so. And I was um, like, I wasn't afraid to go out and do the work, but I will tell you, I was terrible at it. Like I am, I'm not afraid of manual labor, but I am a walking disaster. And it's a miracle that nobody around me died or that I wasn't seriously injured (laughs) because I'm just, I it just, I'm a klutz. I mean, I'll just admit it. Um, so anyways, about through all this time, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, uh, I had a friend whose dad was a geologist hmm. and we were talking one day and he asked me what I was going to do. And I told him I didn't know. And he said, well, you might make a good land, man. Oh, has a great program for that. Why don't you go check it out? Um, so I did. And I enrolled at OU and I was a year through my first year of college and halfway through my first internship before I had any clue what it was a landman did or or what it was going to pertain to. Um, But ultimately, it's the career that I followed. It's been a tremendous blessing for me and my family. So excited to to do that, that career. So um, I did it internship with actually I did one with continental resources there in Enid uh, one summer and then I did another one uh, with Burlington resources and uh, out of graduation I went back to Farmington New Mexico and I spent some time there working for Burlington and we were acquired by Conoco and that that set kind of a stage of my entire career that is filled with transitions and interesting events that take place at every job that I've been in so started off with Burlington. I was there and we were bought by Conoco. So I went through that merger. Um, I came back to Oklahoma city at that point and worked for Chesapeake. Um, and actually the couple of years there with Chesapeake were kind of normal in terms of like, I've got a normal landman job and I was doing normal landman things and everything was rocking. And everybody was happy. And then um, I guess that was too boring for me because I left and I, I went to a little public company in Oklahoma city called quest resource corporation. Um, And during that few years, I gained more experience that I, it's like more experience than most people get in their whole career. And it's all experience. I hope I never have to use again. Um, so I got there in March of
1: ominous sounds ominous. that's a weird statement. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I got there in March of 2008. Um, we closed a major acquisition in July of 2008. And then right after that, it was discovered that the uh, the CEO and the CFO had stolen $10 million from the company. I know. Um, yeah, which it, it, was, it was a public company. So that's a bad thing um, when, you, when you steal money. SEC doesn't like that. Um, so yeah. we went from a stock price of about $15 or so in that summer. By December, we were down to 19 cents. And then if you remember the, the year 2008, obviously there were all kinds of other energy perils that happened. So during the next two or three, two, two and a half, three years, it was survival mode of this entity. And so we had a name change, um, all kinds of different things that I did during that period that I didn't realize they were land jobs, but they didn't have anyone else to do that. And they didn't know what else, what other function to put that under. So, um, it became the landman job. Um, But, you know, there's, that may be a book one day, that whole experience and everything that happened within that organization. It it was a, it was pretty crazy and some interesting stories that came out of that. In our Um, our prep
1: call, we, we got into that a little bit and I found it to be, to be fascinating, right? That was, that was a, a time where things were, were really going crazy and you just look at sort of the, the rise and fall. It's emblematic of, of a lot of companies, I would think. What's unfortunate and different, though, is the fraud piece, right? Yeah. Um, living, living through that, I can only imagine then you have auditors looking at everything you do, even with you as a landman who may or may not be in charge of certain numbers. Now every number matters. Now every move you make is monitored, right? The scrutiny is placed in, the, you know, at a different level where did you eventually move on to from there? Did you go to a big company? Was that Energen or what happened after that?
2: So, um, so after doing that for a while, um, I went back to Chesapeake actually. Um, and then shortly after I got to Chesapeake is when it became, when it began its massive overhaul of change of leadership. Um, I was working the Permian assets, which we sold, um, so I went through that whole divestiture process of selling those assets and then being a liaison between Chesapeake and the the purchasers of those assets. Um, and then after a few years of that, that's when I, uh, was approached to, to go down to Birmingham for Energen. And, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where not very many people grow up dreaming and hoping that one day they'll live in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, so I can't say it was really something that was on my radar. Nobody, nobody. Yeah, nobody. Um, and. For a long – I mean, it was about six months of them talking to me and saying, hey, come check this out. And um, yeah, um, all you got to do is look up Birmingham, Alabama on Wikipedia, and that'll give you a lot of reasons right off the bat as to why you're pretty sure you're not going to want to live in Birmingham.
0: Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, it's it's not a destination for many people.
2: I mean it, – it's It's not. So, finally, I agreed football, to come players. and visit <laughs> – I, vi- I agreed to come and visit and just is like okay, I told my wife, I said, let's go down there. We'll spend a weekend. We'll tell them we hated it. And then they'll leave us alone and we can get on with life. And so we came down and we, we spent a weekend at the end of September and, um, found out it's, it's truly a beautiful area. Um, you know, when you, when you do a comparison of Birmingham to Oklahoma city, which is where we were living population wise, each are about a million in the metro area, Um, kind of a cool, smaller city vibe with, with some neat things happening within it, but three huge differences between Birmingham and Oklahoma city is that here we've got tall trees, small mountains and no wind. And, uh, that was a pretty, it was a pretty sweet combination. And we found out that, I mean, Birmingham proper certainly has its problems, but when you move into some of the other towns that go South of the city, then you get to some pretty, pretty pleasant, amazing neighborhoods. And so So that's.
0: When True. you came to your wife the first time and said, hey, uh, Birmingham, what was what's her reaction? No. <laughs> yeah, just flat out, straight up, yeah. right? you do know, no. not doing it.
2: Yeah, I was like, no, that, that's not something we were doing. But, you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I mean, the change that's been is that when we lived in Oklahoma, and we both grew up in Oklahoma, and, and we knew the area very well, when we used to go on vacation or go travel anywhere but Oklahoma on the last day of that vacation, she was typically crying because she was going to have to go back to Oklahoma the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and she doesn't cry anymore when we come back home. So that's a, that's a, that, that's mm-hmm. a bit of a Testament in terms well, of Birmingham.
0: I mean, just looking at your, your path. I mean, you're no longer, at least I can tell required to be in Birmingham, Alabama for your, for your work. Clearly she hasn't, said hey let's go to tulsa yeah sounds like a choice
2: yeah no we are um yeah since the end of 2018 i've had really i have had no professional commitments that have kept me here whatsoever uh i had a daughter that was finishing up high school and we got her out of high school and now it's we could really we could we are truly untethered we could be anywhere we want to be and we just haven't really found a place that that mixes or fits well for us although i will say that this past summer uh, we, in the middle of July, we spent a week in San Francisco, which was 60 degrees and amazing. Um, and then we, for another week, we were in uh, Southwest Colorado. We were up in the mountains, dry air and amazing. And then we got back to Birmingham at the beginning of August. And uh, right away, we we're like, this, <laughs> yeah. this place sucks. Like, why? why are we living here? This is awful. We got to get out of here. So...
0: But now he, well, I guess we're not 30th. getting any sponsors from the Birmingham Chamber of Commerce on this on this <laughs> uh, podcast.
1: I mean, at least they get to the mention, though. Yeah, they,
0: yeah.
2: Get, that
1: if, they get that. If much. you
2: love if you love heat and humidity, um, it's, I'm, I'm in Houston, so okay. Yeah, Tim's. Game. I will. Say, it's definitely not as bad as Houston. I can say that. Wow, so we've got Houston humidity, but nice scenery. Yeah, you've got hills. Yeah, yeah, we you know, do. You got
1: rolling hills. You probably have some foliage.
0: We do. Uh, the, only, the only hills we have are freeway overpasses.
1: It's very flat. Houston's very very flat. Um, but it, you're there for business. It's a transactional city. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so I want to I want to jump into Energen a little bit because so Tim and I have a, a fairly similar lens. Typically, when we come into an operator, we're coming into Present our wares to try to sell them some sort of technology or some engagement to do business with us. Most of those companies exist, I mean, a very large percentage of those companies exist in a few cities, none of which are Birmingham. But we've been into hundreds and hundreds of different rooms, even in some of these sort of ancillary places, and you see the differences in the companies. I thought Energen was very different to do business with and to engage with, in part because of their location. But also, in part because their background wasn't in being like a true upstream oil and gas company. They were diversified. And then, sort of all of a sudden, hey, we've got this oil and gas asset in West Texas that's going nuts. What exactly do we do? Right. Versus if you're in the Permian and you live there every day, that's your life. Right. So I always found it fascinating. They had a very successful exit, the company did extremely well. But I'm curious from your perspective, working at more of a pure play like Chesapeake and even Quest, and then going to Energen. Talk about some of the differences, I guess, in the, in the companies and things that you learned.
2: Yeah, so it's, it's worth understanding why Energen is, was located in Birmingham and what its story was. So the roots of the company went back to the mid-1800s. Um, and they were basically, the, the, the first start of the company was lighting the street lamps in Birmingham. And then it was supplying the gas or the fuel for the street lamps. And then it was the infrastructure for the fuel to the lamps. And then eventually it became the, the public utility for natural gas within the metropolitan area in a large, a large swath of Alabama. Um, and so then several decades ago um Energen had a side company an E&P company that was purchasing natural gas assets to supplement the volumes that were going into the utility and it lasted this way for a few decades and, and they made a number of strategic purpose purchases um and so there's assets all over the place and as you noted already um some of those assets were in the Permian basin and and uh, they they built out a an E&P team to be able to operate those those assets and and naturally after 2010, you know, going through that last decade, uh, the Permian really heated up and had tremendous value to it. And Energen found itself sitting on some incredible assets w- within a very lucrative basin. And so uh, shortly before I came to Energen in 2014, the company had sold off the utility portion. So the utility company at the time was called Alagasco. And so they sold off Alagasco and became, at that point, a pure E&P publicly traded company that was headquartered in Birmingham, Alabama, but had no assets in Alabama. I mean, we had some minerals, but no operations. All of our operations at the time were um, in the San Juan Basin and in uh, the Permian Basin and then just some smaller ancillary properties in other places. And, And we began selling that stuff. We eventually sold the San Juan Basin as well. And then we just we were a pure Permian operator. Um, now we did have a pretty large office in Midland. About half of our people were in Midland; the other half were in Birmingham. So so it was a it was a pretty good mixture between the two. But no, I mean it was it was a very interesting culture and a very interesting dynamic in terms of the way that things were done at Energen versus the way that they had been done in other companies. Um, you know, one one of the things that that I observed and was that when the downturn happened, 2015, 2016 area, um, for Energen, for a lot of Energen, that was really the first time they'd ever faced a downturn, which is interesting because the company was sure. so old, right? And It had so many assets and so much operations and there had been all these price fluctuations, but they had always had that gas utility as that was the main revenue all drive. It, and it's the almost main- like a
0: hedge against a downturn.
2: It, oh, was. There it was, it was. And, and I mean, all of the analysts attention up until that divestiture of Alagasco was focused on the utility. That's why they sold off the utility is so that they could realize the greater value that these oil and gas and p assets were going to have. And so there wasn't ever really scrutiny in other downturns because everybody was so focused on on the utility. And so with the utility gone and this downturn in fifteen sixteen 16 happening, um, it it made a lot of people have to wake up and figure out what was going on pretty quick. Yeah, so, welcome to, you know, there were welcome a bunch to pure decisions. play oil and gas. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there were a couple, I mean, there were a number of decisions that had to be made. And I mean, it was the first time that the company did a layoff and I don't know how many decades. And, um, you know, we began selling assets and began issuing stock on stuff. And it, it was, a A lot of this was new territory for a lot of people, even though they had worked for an oil and gas company for decades. They had never, never really truly experienced what was happening during that time frame. Yeah, I I I, I was going to make it. I was (laughs) going to make the comment that
0: (laughs) when you (laughs) said when you said the downturn, when we went through the downturn, I was going to make the comment. Wait a minute. (laughs) They only went through one.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I, you know, for it, and like, I don't know how else to describe it. Other, it was just, it was really surprising and shocking to me who had been at other places that had experienced other turmoil, you know. And I'm not a super, I'm not a super experienced guy. I'm not like the youngest puppy in the room, but it was interesting to have people who had decades of experience who were coming to me saying, okay, what's going to happen next? Like, what, what should we expect? What's going to happen? Yeah, now what? Because um, when they knew, you know, what, bad mojo I brought to every company I worked at, but then <laughs> they also experienced a variety J- of different things. Jarius,
1: the mush Johnson, where oh, he yeah. goes, the mush follows.
2: Yeah. The, the, probably the, the best thing that I could do for a company is to go and be hired by their competitor. And I just, I just show up, you know, I, <laughs> there's nothing I intentionally do to bring it down. I just show up so and good. then, you know, my magic happens.
0: Well, yes, yeah, it's, it's funny as a cuz Jeremy and I are both in sales and this happens to us every once in a while. You're you're working with a company that is having some sort of an issue and you you've got a champion who's moving you through and we're trying to make some progress and of course then they get la- like you're at Chesapeake. Well, my guy Chesapeake just got laid off, so you get another champion. Well, no, now he's gone. And then pretty soon I start my conversation with the next guy with, "Now listen, I think I'm a poison pill. Uh, I think that you know, you're, you've been assigned to help move this along, but everyone else has not made it through this process. So be careful. <laughs> be careful in your dealings with me. I, I might be the cause.
2: Well, That's- when when I was being courted by Energen, um, I had that conversation. I mean, there were a couple of people who were saying, we really want you to be here. You know, this is going to be great. <laughs> and I told them, OK, this is my record of everywhere that I have been. Okay? <laughs> like Something terrible has happened everywhere I've been. And the answer I got back was, you think way too highly of yourself to think that anything is going to happen if you come to Energen. <laughs> I mean, we've been around for 150 yeah. years. There's no way you can make anything happen. And uh, four years to the day that I started, Energen was now Diamondback Energy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't your fault that the Saudis decided to produce a bunch of oil and, and drive the price down.
2: Was it though? Was it I, mean, I will say one really of my done? first questions, you know, I mean, when it came to talk compensation at energy one of my first questions to the HR guy was, do you guys have a change of control provision for your employees?
1: Yeah.
2: Cause yeah. I've, i I've been there yeah, done that. Do you have something? And do you well, get the blank stare. I did. They said and the answer was why would we ever need one of those? It's like, you know, <laughs> okay. so no, I took the job anyways, but lobbied for the necessity of that. And I mean, fortunately we were able to get something in place before everything went upside down.
1: So, so 2018 ish, this ends now what? So you're in Birmingham, right? You moved there for a company for a job that's now theoretically not there anymore. What, what happened next?
2: Well, not theoretically. It it was not
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> it was
0: next. No theory here,
1: folks.
2: It was gone. Yeah. Um. No that that's a great question. You know, in terms of what what was next. So, I yeah. I mean, being in Birmingham, I didn't really have a whole bunch of other companies that I could go interview with in Birmingham and go take another landman job. So I had to decide what is it that I want to do with this time and with this uh, newfound freedom. Um, if you want to call it that. Um, and so, it, yeah, this was December one of, of 2018, uh, my birthday. I'm sure it was purely coincidental. I don't think they did that.
1: <laughs> you ruined my birthday without even knowing it. Without yeah. even.
2: Um, so I, I thought, well, I've got an entrepreneurial itch that I want to scratch. And so I'm going to see what I can do. And, and, uh, you know, with the uh, with the landman community and having worked Permian Basin landman community, I had lots of peers and lots of people I'd done interactions with who had just absolutely killed it, you know, buying leases, flipping leases, buying minerals, flipping minerals. And I thought, well, that's easy. I can do that. Like, I've been funding you guys for years mm-hmm. and have been buying deals from you guys for years. I possess that same aptitude, that same talent. And so I thought that's, you know, 28 you know we're in december of 2018 I'll take christmas and then 2019 I'm going to jump into this well i you know a lot of people think that that the demise of oil and gas happened at the at the beginning of the pandemic it didn't it happened about a year before that and and i don't know why why the catalyst was but roughly january 1 2019 is when the investment community and all analysts and everybody said you guys have okay. had enjoyed this ride long enough and now you need to start making money all this stuff that you've been buying, everything that you've drilled, as much as you could drill, produce as much as you could produce, buy as much as you could buy, which we were rewarding you for doing all of that, mind you. We've now changed our minds and now we're going to reward you on making money. And companies went, whoa, we're not we're not built for that. Like, <laughs> what do you mean make money? You've never asked us to do that before. Why do we have to do that now? So you know, trying to decide that this is the time you're going to go out and flip some deals when you don't really have a plan or funding behind you is not the best time to go out and do that. So, um, so the, but there were some different ideas and things that I wanted to be able to jump into. There were ideas and philosophies that I had about the land profession in general. Um, some things that I had noticed from the in-house experience that were needed from the service side. Uh, there were some resources that I wanted people to be able to take advantage of. And so I began exploring those ideas um, and was fortunate to have some people come to me and say, Hey, would you do some, you know, would you do some light consulting work for us? And, and it wasn't a ton to keep me super swamped and busy, but it was enough to get a flavor for that service side. And I found that I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and so I decided kind of mid 2019, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a service company and I'm, I'm going to build a service company that no one has ever seen before in terms of land services. And so I started a company called Lantra Energy Consulting, and uh, Lantra is the genus name for otter, which is my my son's favorite animal. And then my daughter actually designed the logo for me. So um, if you ever see remnants of that Lantra Energy logo still laying around, that's she designed that, and I was I was proud to have that her uh, her part in that. And so I began talking to different people about all these different ideas that I had and the way things that ought to be done and. And tried to become pretty active on LinkedIn at that time. I had this this stupid, stupid cheesy gimmick that for whatever reason caught on. And I just news you ought news. or know? Yeah, news you ought or know. That's where the name came from. I mean, it's like That's on, she- on my list of
0: things to ask about, so I just love that you, you came <laughs> to it. But
2: uh Jeremy, you, you went quiet. So anyway. Keep going. He'll come
0: back. So it's, yeah. it's
1: really, it's really interesting. If you, you hit the mute button, I don't know if you guys have ever done that on a, <laughs> like a call, like a Zoom call. It's this crazy thing. If you hit the mute button, people can't hear you. But I uh, had a uh,
2: <laughs> I, in Zoom, it, people thought it was too cheeky. But I had a background, one of those virtual backgrounds on Zoom, and all it said was "You're on mute." And, and I just point <laughs> to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's where news you ought to know came from. Um, stupid, stupid, cheesy gimmick but like i said it was fun going to nape and things and people are like oh you're the otter guy it's like yeah so you know that it was fun to see that that was working and, and i get a kick out of it and i enjoy doing it um so towards the end of 2019 i came across the guys with with paramount in tulsa and got to sit down with with the the founder president blake sussman and he had started paramount in 2008 um, you know, which we've already talked about, probably not a great time to start a business, but if you can start one during that time and you're successful, then you must be doing some right things. And, and he had definitely done some great stuff with Paramount throughout time, but to his credit, a few years ago, he recognized the need to begin to pivot what his traditional land brokerage company needed to be and what it needed to provide. And so we hit it off from the first time we talked and realized that we had some mutual ideas and things that we wanted to accomplish. Um, I had some experience and some skill sets and some ideas that he wanted to be able to utilize. They definitely had the infrastructure in place and the clientele that was already there that I wanted to be able to to take advantage of. And so um, I just rolled Launcher up and kind of hung up that name and and went all in on Paramount and have been doing that uh, pretty successfully with them now for about a year and a half.
0: I wanted to get into it, so it started out as a kind of typical land brokerage and now technology provider.
2: Yeah, so I would say Paramount does, you know. So this is going to be one of those things where you're going to have to edit because I'm hemming and hawing all over the place, right? But no, so. Parent, to tell the story of it, so Paramount was a broker that that, like I said, started off in 2008. A few years ago, they recognized the need that they needed to change. Um, one of the examples that they did is is uh, at that time, uh, Thought Trace had had just done their rebranding. They had changed from Agile Upstream. They'd become Thought Trace. They had put in a bunch of money into their marketing into rolling out their product to people, and uh, a lot of the land service people or landmen were looking at it, going, "No, this is." you can never use technology for stuff. We don't want that, you know, it's terrible. And and they tried to run away from it or fight it off. And and the guys at Paramount said, no, we wanna be top partners working with ThoughtTrace on this. We know that there's a human element that's always gonna be needed to these aspects and that's what we wanna do. And so they had already added the ThoughtTrace piece. um, But I mean, today, as of today, we've got close to 80 people who are working on various projects. Um, a fraction of them are doing the traditional land title type work and everybody else is doing outside the box projects that this it's the types of projects that I wish that I had had available or the type of people that I wish I had available when I was in house, when I was a landman or land manager. Landman has has a crazy amount of responsibility that falls upon them. Um, In a traditional sense, they may have a geographical area of responsibility. And and to be able to perform that job to perfection means that you know the story of every single acre, whether you own it or somebody else owns it. Mm. You're on top of all of the operations, not only for your company, but as an operator, but your company as a non-operator, as well as competitive activity that's happening within that area and when you're trying to balance this massive load of all these things you're just basically doing things here and there to survive and not necessarily not necessarily to thrive and i had always wanted a clone of myself when i was sitting in that chair oh, i hear that um, i hear that when, when i would express to my boss the woes that i was having of workload and things like that he would say well just get some brokers the problem was, is that most of the brokers hadn't done that type of work before. They were, they're exceptionally skilled at title and leasing and a couple of other tasks, but they had not ever actually sat in the chair that I was in and knew that given me the confidence to where I could hand stuff off to them and say, this is what I need you to do. And know that I wasn't going to have to explain every step of the way for them to do it. And so when I started off as Lantra, That's what I wanted to do is be able to provide that plug and play resource of the human element that nobody was really offering or at least they weren't aware of that those services were available. And then when I became part of Paramount, it's still that human element, but we also have a technological element that we roll into that as well. So we we do a lot of work with ThoughtTrace. Uh, We've got a proprietary platform to where we try to do as much of our work and product in there as possible. Um, so to the extent that we can not work in spreadsheets, we try not to work in spreadsheets. So we'll, we'll use a, you know, um, a low code platform and we'll dump everything into it. We'll structure a, a workflow or process. We'll give out assignments to different people. They can work their assignments within that, that module. They can upload attachments to it, make their comments, whatever, hit complete. And it goes on to the next person. Then at any given moment, we can export what needs to be exported to the client. And it, from a management perspective, there's full transparency and accountability on everything because we can see what everybody is doing and, and what their progress is. And we can make adjustments that's needed or give coaching and things like that. So um, I mean, that's that's one example from the technological aspect of what we're trying to give people. Um, you know, in Paramount's just a it's a very different company in general. It, it's a remote company. So we were remote long before COVID ever happened. Um, you know, I mentioned We've got 80-some people that are working. They're all over the country. I've personally been running a project that's got close to 40 people on it. We're across wow. three time zones in all kinds of states and in different areas. Um, so this is. there were some different things that I had to learn when I went from the, to that common corporate side that I was used to and then went over to the Paramount side. So with Paramount, internally, email is banned. Really? Whoa. We don't use email internally at all
0: so just slack. some sort of a chat or slack or
2: we do yeah we so we use wow. so we've we've selected slack and we use it exclusively for all internal communications that's cool so we'll use teams as well for external communications for our clients cuz a lot of them are in the microsoft environment um, and I mean, we are too, for that matter, but we do, we like Slack. Um, we will use email for external communication purposes, but internally we use Slack for everything.
1: Yeah, and
2: cool. um, w- where that really comes in handy is that when we've got, we've got a multitude of projects that are happening all at once. And we always want the best people best person for the best job at the right time. And so periodically, that means moving people around to different tasks. Well, it's yeah. just a matter of taking that person and putting them in a different Slack channel. They spend a little bit of time, they read everything that's happened since they were last on the project. They review any attachments that might be there, any video instructions that we've past, posted, and they're up to speed You know, within an hour and they're working. And right. it's, it's a really easy way to keep people integrated.
0: Well, so it's interesting timing. I'm looking at your profile. So you started at Paramount February 2020, which anyone who's doing Perfect. the math now, that's one month before all hell broke loose. So, yeah. and I'm ge- based on what you're describing here, Paramount as a company really didn't have to make any adjustments for COVID at all. Is that right? No. So, but what was it yeah. like now that you guys were fully prepped for full remote, you're slacked, you, you've got everything else going, what was it like now... Your business had to change because the guys you were working with were suddenly having to change. What was that like for you guys to, to watch everyone else panic and try and
2: figure it out? So I think the best way I can answer that is, is we've talked about my personal location being in Birmingham, Alabama, right? So at the end of 2018, beginning of 2019, colleagues and peers that I had who were in the oil and gas business said, well, what are you going to do? You know, where are you <laughs> going to move to? You are you gonna go back to Oklahoma City? Are you gonna to go to Houston? Right. What are you gonna do? And I told people I was gonna I was gonna stay in Birmingham. And pretty much hundred percent of the time they would say, Oh, well, that's that's nice. Do you so, save up enough money? You don't need to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but but it was it was like, Well, what kind of job are you gonna do? Well, I'm gonna work in oil and gas. And most people said that's impossible. Right. You cannot work in oil and gas and live in Birmingham. It's just not gonna work. You're not going to be able to do that. And so, you know, and I said, well, I'm out to show that it can be done. Like I, I want to show everybody that you can live where you want to live and do the work that you want to do. Um, And I was, you know, for the most part of 2019 talking to a wall on, on this message, but 2020 opinion sure changed on that pretty yeah, quick. Wall turned like a a yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean now, I mean, it's, and that's a huge recruiting perk now for a lot of companies, not necessarily oil and gas, but just just in the industry or in all industries in general is like, you can live wherever you want to live and do this job because the technology is such to where it can happen. So for, for us at Paramount, I mean, not to sound too arrogant, but it was, it was a relief to have the rest of the world catch up to us, you know, to where it wasn't you know, there wasn't that expectation of, well, if you can't be in our office and you can't do the job, or if, if you're not able to meet with us in yeah. person, then how do we know that you're capable of doing anything? Yeah. When we were already very well versed on Slack and Zoom and could do screen shares. And we yeah. already had platforms that were set to where people could work from wherever. And, um, so I liked the idea that the rest of the world caught up to the remote place.
1: Yeah, no, I, I do too. And, and certainly I think those younger than us, are enjoying the fact that things are coming in their direction tech-wise. But yeah, oil and gas, I mean, it's also the nature of, of the industry. I mean, like any sort of construction or manufacturing, you are going to have a bunch of people at a single location. So that's sort of then bred, well, then everybody else should be at one location too in the, in the office, right? It's like, well, maybe those people don't need to be in the office. Just a thought, um, but as things come back, I think oil and gas companies are some of the first to bring to bring people back, like hundred um, percent.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it, it'll be like I hope. I hope that the optionality for having remote working environments is not a fad. Like I hope it continues.
0: I, it's, um, it's it's still hard to break some of these. Kind of, I'm gonna go. I hate to go old school, new new school, but some of the old school operators. Still have this idea. If I can't see the guy, I don't know that he's doing what he's supposed to be yeah. doing. So I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but a good friend of mine works there. And he said, look, I got he's he's hacked off. He drives 40 minutes to work in downtown Houston, gets to the office, walks in, shuts his door, gets on Zoom calls with people who are in the same building oh, wow. as him. No, and way. this was, you know, during the height of COVID, they came back real quick, but that was there. so why can't I be doing that at my house? He, you know, instead, I'm driving somewhere else to go sit in an office with the door shut, doing the same thing I would have been doing in my house and, and saved, every, saved everybody, you know, an hour and a half of uh, commuting. Hmm. I think they, they've come around a little, but it's still interesting to see, hey, we're going to pull everybody back in. My company, mainly because we've, we've been distributed around the globe um, in different ways, we were kind of ready. And once, you know, once we got forced out after two weeks, we were, you know, fully up and running and we're not, we're not going to go back. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're all kind of fighting pretty
2: hard to stay with what we're doing. And so far it's worked. Yeah. So, so another one of the ways that Paramount was prepared for something like this is that um, they had always obsessed over KPIs, which was a term that I didn't know from my corporate environment. It wasn't until I worked with some people who were, you know super smart and had studied this and had been coached on it but paramount obsesses over the idea of key performance indicators and this idea that everything can be measured and so Mm -hmm. as soon as we have any type of new project taking on if we have not previously measured something that that in the past and we are measuring everything going forward and so when you've got kpis in place you know how long it should take a person to do every task. And there might be some exceptions. And as there are exceptions, then you make adjustments along the way. But when you've got a platform that is tracking the progress as to what people are doing, and you already have a benchmark in terms of this is what a person ought to be able to do in a day, then it's really easy to figure out, okay, do we have a problem because somebody just doesn't understand? Is it bad communication? Are they loafing? Is it you know distractions at home or what is it? And we can pinpoint what that issue or what that problem is pretty quickly and get it resolved. Um, And every now and then, it's somebody who, you know, isn't designed for the remote working environment. They need some type of additional scrutiny. Um, Thankfully, that's been very, very few rare circumstances from the folks that that I've been able to work with so far. Most of the instances, if we have KPIs that are slacking a little bit, it's, okay, this this is the measurement as to where you ought to be. And it could be something really simple as, oh, I didn't understand that this was a set that I could take or that this was something I could do, or I don't have access to this certain program. We make the adjustment and, you know, we put people back on track right away.
1: Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Well, I do have one final question, right? You're an you grew up in Oklahoma, you're in a big football, college football town, Birmingham, Alabama, when Oklahoma and Alabama play in a big game, who do you root for?
2: Oh, that's a, that's a no brainer. That's Oklahoma, of course. I was going to say,
0: you looked at his LinkedIn
2: profile, you know, it's going to be the Sooners. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where I went to school. No. um, So when you, when you come to Alabama, the first question they ask you when you cross the state line is Auburn or Alabama. I mean, they, they don't want to know your name. They don't care about what you're going to do. They don't care if you're going to be a liability on the system or a contributor to the tax pool. All they want to know (laughs) is, are you Auburn or Alabama? I mean, that's it. Like growing up in Oklahoma, I thought we were college football fans. We are not college football fans in Oklahoma. It is like, it is the complete way of life in Alabama. I I remember that the first, within the first couple of weeks after I'd moved here, it was in December. And they were talking about, you know, bowl games and stuff coming up. And there was a lot of coverage, you know, with the regular season already over. I thought, okay, well, we've still got, you know, a bowl game coming up, but there's a lot of talk that's happening here. And then, like, after January, I noticed that listening to the news radio, like, they're still talking about football, (laughs) like, a lot. I mean, my commute... My commute was 10 minutes from my house to the office downtown, and and I'm a I'm a boring nerd, and so I just listen to AM talk radio. And within that 10-minute gap, every day I got an update on Auburn and Alabama football programs. It doesn't matter if it was March, April, May, whenever they were talking about it. I mean, I remember the day they gave a five-minute bio on the new outside linebackers coach that they had just hired. <laughs> I can't even name the linebackers coach on the Oklahoma team, let alone give a bio as to who they are. <clears throat>
1: Unbelievable. Well, that's so Alabama. Harris Johnson, my guy. How do people find you? How do people get in touch with you if they want to explore yeah, doing some business or having you talk at an event? I know you do that. Where do people find you?
2: Uh, so LinkedIn's a pretty easy place to find me. Um, if If you're stalking me on there, I will try to find out, but you can connect with me or message me. Um, And actually on my profile there, I'm not afraid to put my email address and my telephone number on there uh, so people can reach me that way. Um, If you check out Paramount's website, uh, ParamountFieldServices.com, you'll see a bio and and find some ways, Um, especially within the landman community. I try to do some volunteer work in there as well. And so, I mean, hopefully I'm not too incredibly hard to find, but I welcome any, any and all connections and getting to know people.
0: So that's Jaris,
2: Jerris, J-E-R-R-I-S Johns. That's right. Yep, I found out the hard way that I think it's a woman's name. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: for
1: part two.